Take 15. You would not believe how many tries it has taken <laughs> to just get the intro this week. Welcome to an hour of your life. My name is Kim. And my name is Steve. And Steve sounds a little rough tonight. He's doing better than he was earlier, but um, I think it's just all the change that we're going through weatherwise. We had uh, not zero degree temperatures last week, but it was pretty cold. Wind chills got down way below zero. It was was pretty cold last night. And today it was in the 60s. The door wide open, let some air in. It was nice. Rainy. So all of the it it mold spores are coming out, which is probably why your voice is like that. Could be. But um, yeah. so uh, we have had in 2020, we had COVID, we had murder hornets, new virus strains, and then 2021 attacks on our Capitol building, endless conspiracy theories. And now they're predicting an especially rough spring storm season because of La Nina. I don't know about you, Kim, but... I'm getting a little tired of living through history right now. I, yes, but at the same time, I think of some of the other things that people have, like other, I mean, we could be living through like, like old, old history, like the French Revolution where there was no indoor plumbing. Can we just take a week? That's all I'm asking. Just let's just take a week and have a quiet week. Uh, Maybe. Anyway, <laughs> we would like to welcome and thank Patty for following an hour of your life. Hi, Patty. Okay. Hi, Patty. So, Patty, you know what you're supposed to do right now. You have to go and tell five people about an hour of your life and then get them to like and follow us. That's your chore for the week. So, Patty, please don't let us down on this one. And then, Patty, um, send us an email or uh, something on social media with your address, and we'll be happy to send you some stickers if you would like. Absolutely. So, anyway, thank you, Patty. Now, listen, before we get into today's episode, I want to mention that this is the 30th year anniversary of Operation Desert Storm. So I can say I know exactly where I was down to 10 meters on this night 30 years ago. Yeah, we actually kicked around the idea of doing um, just an interview where I interview Steve about his experience at Desert Storm. We decided against it just because um, I wasn't sure that we could do it without making it kind of a personal thing for him as opposed to the entire um, war as a, as a whole in the entire situation. Um, yeah, I didn't want to come on and tell war stories. Or right, like yeah, that. but... But, but it, we wanted to just recognize... Yeah, absolutely. Um, but storm. honestly, if that's something that you guys would like to hear, then shoot us an email or something, um, alosthour at gmail.com, and it's not out of the realm of possibility. Uh, I don't know that that's really something that they... I feel like that's one of those things that they don't really teach in school because it's too new. Um, It's not history enough to be taught in history class. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, I think maybe eventually, but... Going on those lines, if anyone listening right now has a topic and they would like us to research it and put together an episode on that, send it in to us. Yeah, we'd love that. Yeah, we'd love that. And we would love to have you on as a guest if... You know 
obviously would know more information <laughs> about it than we would. Sure. So anyway, last week we talked about Ned Kelly, who was the famous Australian outlaw, with our good friend Neil as our special guest on the show last week. This week, we're going to move to the Northern Hemisphere and the United States and its territories. And that's, I think that's kind of important because these were territories at the time. Correct. And we're going to talk about the American outlaw, Billy the Kid. Now, Billy has a fascinating and interesting story in American history, and his story remains controversial until today. The fact is, Billy the Kid and his story, we're still having the effects of, it's still happening today, parts of this story. Yeah, absolutely. And as we dug into the research in this, we thought, okay, we're just going to be telling a story about Billy the Kid. There, there's a lot, we, I, I didn't realize how controversial and how the, the emotions are still tied to Billy the Kid right now. Yeah, I, and I, I don't know if maybe it is uh, more of a geographical thing because, you know, we live in Ohio and obviously Billy the Kid was out west. So perhaps it's more of a thing out there than it is here. Well, as I was on some bulletin boards talking about this, there are a lot of people from all over the country. Huh. And we'll talk about that later as we get into that portion of the show. But yeah. it's... Uh, it, it's it's still out there that people are upset over this, and we'll talk about that a little yeah, bit later. Yeah, and the show. why they're upset. Yep. So as you listen, we're not trying to glorify Billy the Kid or his actions. Um, you know, it's a part of our Outlaw series. We'll finish it up next week. Um, but we we're just bringing you a story about American history. So make of it what you will. Uh, Pro Billy, anti Billy. I, I this one again is. Kind of like Ned was last week. I can see how the way things played out. I don't know if... Not quite as bad as Ned, but I would argue that Billy is somewhat of a victim of circumstance a little bit. I don't know. I mean, listen to the story and then you make up your mind. Gotcha. So Billy the Kid was born in 1859, most likely in New York City. New York City? New York City. Like Ned Kelly last week, Billy was of Irish descent, uh, and we can tell that most likely because of the records that were left in the, um, well, just of records that were left. And so that's as the best we can tell about that. While his birth year has been confirmed as 1859, the exact date of his birth has been disputed as either September 17th or November 23rd of that year. A letter from an official at St. Peter's Church in Manhattan states, it is in possession of records showing a baby named McCarty was baptized there on September 28, 1859. So we need to pay attention to all the aliases, the AKAs, as known as, of Billy the Kid to keep this story straight. So Mm. you're going to have to pay attention here for a second. Billy called himself William H. Bonney. His parents' names are not known for certain, but because of the church records, I think it's safe for us to say that his mother was Catherine and his father's name was Patrick. His original name was probably Henry McCarty. I wonder if that's what the H is. Yeah, we'll get to that here in a second. Bonnie being his mother's maiden name, and William was the first name of his mother's longtime companion, 
William Antron, who acted as Billy's father after his biological father disappeared, or died at the end of the Civil War. It was all about the same time. But for the purpose of this podcast, in an attempt to eliminate the confusion with all the aliases from here on out, we're just going to refer to McCarty as Billy. So are you staying with us so far so, on that? Just so, even, yeah, it's so we're confusing going, just to get to his right name. So we're going to go ahead and assume that this baby born to Catherine and Patrick McCarty yeah. is Billy the Kid. Yes, and that's okay. because of church records and baptism, baptismal records mm-hmm. from the church and stuff like that. So, you know, we can't say with 100% certainty, but... Probably like 85? I would say closer to 95, 98% certainty. Oh, okay. Not enough to say gotcha. this is definitely Billy the Kid. Okay. But hmm. in all practicality... It's Billy the it's, Kid. It's Billy the Kid. Okay. Now, around 1865, Billy and his brother traveled west to Indiana with their mother and Antron, and by 1870, the group was in Wichita, Kansas. Now, Billy's mom contracted tuberculosis and was told to move to a drier climate. Now, some accounts say that she had lung cancer, but TB was big at the time. Um, A lot of people were dying of tuberculosis around this this time of the Civil War. They had the sanitariums. and yeah. Uh, so I believe it was probably TB, but we really have no possible way of knowing for sure. And yeah. that seems to be a lot of things. Colorado was a popular place for this. That is true. In we learned fact, that when we yes. went to the... In fact, the, if you uh, look at the our picture of an hour of your life, yeah, on that Facebook. was taken in Colorado right there. That was. That was taken at um, the Stanley Hotel, uh, which maybe we'll cover sometime. That would be a fun one. Um, but... So it seems like outlaws in general, there's a lot of things that we have no way of knowing for sure. Like we we're pretty sure that um, Henry McCarty was Billy the Kid, but we're not entirely sure. And we're pretty sure that his mom had TB and that's why they moved out West, but we're not entirely sure. And, and I think that that's probably part of what leads to sort of the glorification of outlaws is the mystery that kind of surrounds them centuries later. Yeah, I'm just amazed that the records were kept that well. Yeah. And that's part of what we're trying to do here with an hour of your life. We're trying to take a lot of records and a lot of sources and trying to put it together in one source to make it the most likely sure. story here. Um, now, they, the family soon moved west, even further west, uh, down the cattle trails. And in 1873, <laughs> uh, Catherine, 1873, Catherine and William Antron um, appeared as legally married on a record in Silver City, New Mexico, which was back then, like Steve mentioned, still a territory. Now, Billy's stepfather worked as a bartender and a carpenter, but he soon got the prospecting bug and virtually ignored his wife and stepsons. Gold fever. Faced with an indigent husband, again. Indigent, what a nice word. Again, faced with an... Remember, his dad ran out on them, and now his stepfather is gone. Um, So Billy's mother took in boarders in order to provide for her sons. And despite the better climate, though, she continued to worsen. And on September 16th, 1874, she died of whatever her condition was, be it lung cancer or tuberculosis, in Silver City. And after her death... William Antrim placed Billy and his younger brother Joseph in separate foster homes and left Silver City for Arizona. Now, at the age of 14... The well, scene... at least he just didn't ditch him in the desert. No, but he split him up, which was kind of a jerk yeah. move. Yeah. 
At the age of 14, the smooth-cheeked, blue-eyed Billy was forced to find work in a hotel, washing dishes and waiting tables at the restaurant. But he was reported to be very friendly. The manager was really impressed with him. He boasted that he was the only kid who ever worked for him that didn't steal anything that he knew of. And his school teachers always thought that he was no more of a problem than any other boy, always willing to help out with chores around the schoolhouse. So Billy the Kid, as a young young boy, seems like he was a pretty all right kind of guy. Yeah. However, on September 23rd, 1875, Billy was arrested for hiding a bundle of stolen clothes for a man who was playing a prank on a Chinese laundryman. And this is the start of his life of crime. Yes. And that's why I say he, I think he was almost a little bit of a victim of circumstance. Because now, I mean, he wasn't, he didn't steal the clothes. He hid them for somebody who was playing a joke. And as a result, he ended up in jail. Yeah, well, like with Ned, his first things, it's going to take a drastic leap from, let's call it a misdemeanor, to what's about to happen right here. So, two days after Billy was thrown in jail, the scrawny teen escaped by climbing his way up the jailhouse chimney. Wow. And escaping, yeah, so... Pays to be thin right now. <laughs> Unlike that video we just watched. Oh, yeah, that was yeah, a good was, one. There's a funny. guy that had dissolving shorts, and he was not a small man. <laughs> and his wife set him up, but yeah. it was it was fine. Anyway. Okay, from that point on, uh, Billy was going to be a fugitive pretty much for the rest of his life. He eventually found work as, in, uh, as a ranch hand and a sheep herder in southeastern Arizona. In 1877, he became a civilian teamster at Camp Grant Army Post with the duty of hauling logs from a timber mill or from a timber camp to a sawmill. On August 17, 1877, Billy was at a saloon in the village of Bonita when he got into an argument with Francis P. Wendy Cahill, who was a blacksmith, who it was reported that he bullied Billy quite a bit and on more than one occasion he called Billy a pimp. Billy, in turn, called Cahill an SOB, whereupon Cahill threw Billy to the floor, and the two struggled for Billy's revolver. Billy shot and mortally wounded Cahill. A witness, however, said Billy had no choice. He had to use his equalizer. Now, Cahill died the following day, and Billy fled, but he returned a few days later and was apprehended by Miles Wood, the local justice of the peace. He was detained and held in the Camp Grant guardhouse, but escaped before law enforcement could arrive. So he already, in his young criminal career, is a masterful escape artist. Reminded me of Houdini. Right. Um, Again on the run, Billy next turned up in the house of High School Jones in Picos Valley, New Mexico. Apaches had stolen Billy's horse, which forced him to walk many miles to the nearest settlement, which was Mrs. Jones' house. She nursed the young man, who was near death, back to health, And the Jones family developed a strong attachment to Billy and gave him one of their horses. So now he's an outlaw, unable to find honest work. The kid met up with another bandit named Jesse Evans, who was the leader of a gang of rustlers simply called The Boys. And he didn't have anywhere else to go. And since it was suicide to be alone in the hostile and lawless territory, Billy the Kid reluctantly joined the gang. And he later became embroiled in the infamous Lincoln County War, which we're going to talk about in just a minute. It was a conflict between rival cattle barons in the 19th century New Mexico territory. That was a fast minute. Well, I was going to (laughs) say, before we get into it, I wanted to remind everybody of William Belknap. Uh, 
you remember from a couple weeks back, the guy who was quote unquote insider trading for lack of a better term. Uh, and so some of this with the Lincoln County war is going to kind of, yeah, it's going to kind of harken back to that same time and the same kind of things that we talked about the sutlers and how, um, you know, Belknap was taking money under the table. Maybe, maybe not. His wife if, was taking money under the table. I wonder if and, he had his hands in this pot. Go ahead. Tell the story. I, we, he might have because, um, in the early 1870s, two men by the names of Lawrence Murphy and James Dolan owned the only store in Lincoln County, which was called Murphy and Dolan Mercantile and Banking. Wow. I know. Clever, huh? Yeah. Soon another man named John Riley also entered the business. Now, at the time, Lincoln County was the largest county in the nation, covering one-fifth of the New Mexico Territory. New Mexico's big. Yes, but it also was very desert. So when you think of a big county, I don't want you to think of very populated because I don't think that it was. Um, In addition to the store, Murphy and Dolan also owned large cattle ranches, and they had influential ties to officials in Santa Fe, so they were able to obtain several lucrative contracts with the military at Fort Stanton. And this is where Belknap had his hands in because, remember... Well, we're, we think he does. We don't know for sure, well, but it sounds but, like the thing he would have been involved with. But remember that he was in charge of all of the military contracts. They all fell under the Secretary of War office. Yeah. So he, at some level, was responsible for getting them their, their merchant contracts. Yeah, so, I mean, his fingers were in the pot somewhere. Somewhere, yeah. Yeah. So, before long, Murphy and Dolan Mercantile and banking monopolized the trade of the county, controlling the pricing, uh, making immense profits on their goods, and virtually having a hand in nearly every part of the economy of the large county. Sounds like the godfather, too. Well, we talked about this in the Belknap episode, too, remember? They could drive prices up as high as they wanted because they were it. Yeah, well, the merchants, along with their allies, which included law enforcement, were um, generally known as the house. Hmm. So, for obvious reasons, Murphy and his allies were disliked by the small farmers and ranchers in Lincoln County as they were forced to pay high costs for their goods while at the same time accepting low prices for their cattle. In 1877, Alexander McSwain, a lawyer, and John Turnstall a wealthy 24-year-old English cattleman and banker set up a rival business called H&H Tunstall and Company near the one owned by Dolan, Murphy, and Riley. Supporting them was a large ranch owner named John Chisholm who owned more than 100,000 head of cattle. Furious at this development, Dolan attempted to uh, goad Turnstall into a gunfight. However, Turnstall refused to use violence himself but soon recruited Billy the Kid, officially as a cattle guard. But at, at one time, at least at one other count, says Billy was hired as a um, Tunstall's bodyguard. Mm. So, I mean, there's some... Bodyguard, comfort. cattle guard. It's all the same. It's all right the there. same. In February 1877, 1878, I'm sorry, the house proprietors obtained a court order to seize some of Tunstall's horses as payment for an outstanding debt. When Tunstall... Refused to surrender the horses, Lincoln County Sheriff William Brady formed a posse led by Deputy William Morton to seize them. After protesting the presence of the posse on his land, Tunstall was shot in the head on February 18, 1878. This incident started what became known as the Lincoln County War. Now, the war involved uh, several skirmishes and fights, but in the end, 
the Lincoln County War accomplished little other than to foster distrust and animosity in the area. Which didn't have distrust and animosity already? Yeah. Yeah. It, it just <laughs> perpetuated. Right. Billy the Kid was deeply affected by the murder, claiming that Tunstall was one of the only men that had ever treated him decently. At Tunstall's funeral, Billy swore, I'll get every SOB who helped kill John if it's the last thing that I do. Billy, now a member of the Regulators, would enact revenge by gunning down the deputy who killed his friend as well as another deputy in the county, Sheriff William Brady, on April 1st, 1878. So if Billy thought he was a wanted man before this, Billy is really wanted by law enforcement right now. So he had to go into hiding, but he soon started to steal livestock from other white ranchers in Apache on the Mescalero Reservation. Also remember, this is another thing about outlaws, is they're young. Billy is 19 at this point. Yeah. So much like Ned, who got his start when he was, you know, he was, what, 13 when he started? Billy was 14 when he started. So these are young men, um, think like high school age, doing yeah. all this stuff. Yeah. Now, on the night of Sunday, July 14th, McSween... We're talking about the Battle of Lincoln here? Oh, yes, the Battle yeah. of Lincoln. Uh, on the night of Sunday, July 14th, McSween and the Regulators, who were now a group of 50 or 60 men, went to Lincoln. They stationed themselves in the town among several buildings. And at the McSween residence were Billy, Florencio Chavez, Jose Chavez, Jim French, Harvey Morris, Tom O'Folliard, and, and Gino Salazar, among others. Another group, led by Marin Chavez and Doc Skurlock, positioned themselves on the roof of a saloon. Henry Newton Brown, Dick Smith, and George Coe defended a nearby adobe bunkhouse. So we're headed for a shootout here. On Tuesday, July the 16th... Kind of like Ned. Right? Okay. Newly appointed sheriff George Pepin sent sharpshooters to kill the McSween defenders at the saloon. Pepin's men retreated when one of the snipers, Charles Crawford, was killed by Fernando Herrera, and Pepin then sent a request for assistance to Colonel Nathan Dudley, commandant of the nearby Fort Stanton. <laughs> in reply to Pepin, Dudley refused to intervene, but later arrived in Lincoln with troops, turning the battle in favor of the M Murphy Dolan faction. A shooting war broke out on Friday, July the 19th, and McSween's supporters gathered inside his house when Buck Powell and Deputy Sheriff Jack Long set fire to the building, this sounds familiar too. Yeah. The occupants began shooting. Billy and the other men fled the building when all rooms but one were burning, and during the confusion, Alexander McSween was shot and killed by Robert W. Beckwith, who was then shot and killed by Billy. In the fall of 1878, retired Union General Lou Wallace became the new territorial governor of New Mexico. He sounds like a newscaster. Lou Wallace, yeah. he does, yeah. In order to restore peace to Lincoln County, Wallace... I'd rather be named Lou than Dudley. Right. Well, and it's spelled L-E-W, which is kind of cool. In order to restore the peace to Lincoln County, Wallace proclaimed an amnesty for any man involved in the Lincoln County War that was not already under indictment. Billy was, of course, under several indictments, some of which were unrelated to the Lincoln County War, but Wallace was intrigued by rumors that Billy was willing to surrender himself and testify against other combatants if amnesty could be extended to him. So in March of 1879, Wallace and Billy met to discuss the possibility of a deal. In true to form, Billy greeted the governor with a revolver in one hand and a Winchester in the other. After several days to think the issue over, Billy agreed to testify and return for an amnesty. 
Part of the agreement was for Billy to submit to um, to show his arrest and, in short, stay in jail for a couple days or at least until the conclusion of the courtroom testimony. Even though his testimony helped to indict one of the powerful House faction leaders, John Dolan, the district attorney defied Wallace's order to set Billy free after testifying. However, Billy was a skilled escape artist, as we've already established, and slipped out of the handcuffs and fled. But I bet you, if I was Billy the Kid, that that lawyer, the district attorney, would be on my list. You welched on our deal. Well... It's going to come into play later down the road. Mm. Okay, so for the next year, he hung around Fort Sumner on uh, the Pecos River and developed a fateful friendship with a local bartender named Pat Garrett, who was later elected sheriff of Lincoln County. As Sheriff Garrett was charged with arresting his friend, Henry Billy, who he was known as, another alias right now, who, I mean... We're, it's it's almost positive that this was Billy the Kid. Yeah, so yeah. Henry Billy Henry was Billy, pretty yeah, much Billy known kid, just McCarty. as Billy the McCarty, Kid at this yeah. point, okay. yeah. yeah. So at, at about the same time, Billy had formed a gang referred to as the Rustlers, or simply Billy the Kid's gang, who survived by stealing and rustling as he did before. That would make me kind of mad if I was one of the Rustlers and I was just, it was Billy the Kid's gang. Like, what about me? I'm in this gang too. I do just as much work as he does, theoretically, maybe, right? I guess. <laughs> the, the core members of the gang were Tom O'Folliard, Charlie Bowdry, Tom Pickett, Billy the Kid, Dirty Dave Rudabaugh, and Billy Wilson. By the fall of 1880, Billy was still trying to convince the governor of a pardon, although continuing his outlaw activities. Mm. Yeah. That's not really a good bargaining <laughs> tactic right there. Yeah. <laughs> straighten up and fly right, Billy, and maybe we'll talk about it again. During this time, his notoriety, notoriety with newspapers increased, and they dubbed him Billy the Kid, and he was the most important outlaw of New Mexico. So I guess at this time, unofficially they were calling him Billy the Kid, but now the newspapers are picking up, and he's right. officially called Billy the Kid. Yeah. On November 30th, 18, the power of the press, on November 30th, 1880, Billy the Kid's gang, David Anderson, a.k.a. Billy Wilson, and Dirty Dave Rudabaugh rode into White Oaks, New Mexico, and ran into Sheriff, Deputy Sheriff James Redmond. Taking shots at the deputy, Redmond hid behind a saloon as several local citizens ran into the street, chasing the fugitives out of the town. So wait, they just rode into town, shot at the cops, and then he hid, and the, and the, and the citizens people ran him chased out. Yeah. him out? Yep. Wow, Okay. On December 15th, 1880, Governor Wallace put a $500 reward on Billy's head and Pat Garrett began a relentless pursuit pursuit of the outlaw. Garrett set up many traps and ambushes in an attempt to apprehend Billy, but the kid seemed to have an animal instinct that warned him of danger, but that instinct was not to last. Trailed by the resolute Garrett, Billy the Kid, Billy Wilson, Rudabaugh, Tom O'Fallard, Charlie uh, Bowdry, and Tom Pickett rode wearily into Fort Sumner, New Mexico on December 19th, 1880, and were confronted by Garrett's posse, which had been hiding in an old post-hospital building. Now, this is I this is the really intriguing part of the story to me, because Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid were friends at one point in time before he got elected sheriff. And so oh, yeah. it is, it's really, 
I can't imagine that. Like if you, if one of you, like if Jackie suddenly became a sheriff and I was an outlaw and she was the one that had to catch me. I mean, talk about a, talk about a bummer. 500 bucks is 500 bucks. Friendship ruiner right there. Now, Pat Garrett, Lon Chambers, and several others leaped from cover in the hospital as Garrett ordered the outlaws to halt. However, several of the posse members didn't wait for the outlaws to respond to Garrett's demand. Instead, they opened fire on Pickett and O'Folliard, who were riding in front. And even though Pickett survived to escape, O'Folliard lied dead in the dusty street. Rudabaugh's horse caught a bullet and collapsed. I wish we had some of that old-fashioned cowboy music right here. Yeah, or like or horse clopping. Yeah, this the coconuts. Yeah, <laughs> um, Rudabaugh managed to jump onto Wilson's horse, and he and the other outlaws escaped, holding up in an abandoned cabin near Stinkin' Springs, New Mexico. And soon, the determined Garrett's posse managed to track the outlaws down and surrounded the hideout. Inside of the house were Billy, Charlie Baldry, Dave Rudabaugh, Tom Pickett, and Billy Wilson. And, uh, but Baldry passed before an open window, and he was shot in the chest. And the siege continued until the next day when Rudabaugh finally waved a white flag and the bandits surrendered. Billy the Kid and his gang of rustlers were captured on December 23rd, 1880. And he was first taken to a jail in Las Vegas, New Mexico, and then to Santa Fe and eventually to Mesilla. Deliberation in his April trial took exactly one day, and Billy was convicted of murdering Sheriff William Brady and sentenced to hang by Judge Warren Bristol. His execution was set, scheduled for May 13th, and he was sent to Lincoln to await his date. He was under guard by James Bell and Robert Olinger on the top floor of the building formerly known as the House before and during the Lincoln County War. And on April 28th, Billy somehow escaped and killed both of his guards while Garrett was out of town. He's one good escape artist. He here. really is. He reminds me of uh, Ted Bundy, how Ted Bundy just escaped from everything, too. It's not known how Billy was able to, to, to escape all of this stuff, but it is widely believed that a friend or regulator sympathizer left a pistol in the privy that one of the guards escorted Billy to daily. And after shooting Deputy Bell with a pistol, Billy stole Olinger's 10-gauge double-barrel shotgun and waited for Olinger by the window in the room he was being held in. Olinger obliged by running immediately from the hotel upon hearing the shots, and when he was directly under the window of the courthouse, he heard his prisoner say, Hello, Bob. Olinger looked up and saw the kid with a gun in his hand, and it was the last thing he ever saw as Billy blasted him with his own shotgun, killing him instantly. That's some cold-blooded stuff right there. This would, however, be Billy's last escape. When Pat Garrett was questioning Billy's friend Peter Maxwell on July 14, 1881, in Maxwell's darkened bedroom in Old Fort Sumner, Billy unexpectedly entered the room. The kid didn't recognize Garrett in the poor lighting, and um, just under those conditions, he asked, Quienes? Quienes? That's Spanish for... (laughs) Who is it? Who is it? To which Garrett responded with two shots from his revolver, the first striking Billy's heart. Henry McCarty, the infamous Billy the Kid, was buried in a plot between his dead friends Tom O'Fired and Charlie Bowdry the next day in uh, the Fort Sumner Cemetery. In his short life, Billy the Kid was reputed to have killed 21 men, one for each year of his young life. However, many historians calculate the figure closer to nine, four on his own, 
and five with the help of the others. So I'm betting you think the story ends here. Wrong. Mm-hmm. How can you have somebody this famous and dead and not have a live person claim to be them? Well, Billy the Kid is no exception in this case. Well, whoever was claiming to be him is dead now because there's no way that Billy the Kid is still alive in 2021. But over we're, time... We're talking then. Over time, legends grew claiming that Billy was not killed and that Garrett staged the incident and death out of friendship so Billy could evade the law. Oh. Jackie would totally do that for me. During the next 50 years, a number of men claimed that they were Billy the Kid. Most of those claims were easily disproven. 50. But two have remained topics of discussion and debate. In 1948, a Central Texas man, Ollie P. Roberts, also known as Brushy Bill Roberts, began claiming that he was Billy the Kid and went before New Mexico Governor Thomas J. Mabry seeking a pardon. Which is kind of a bold move because what if the governor was like, nope, not going to pardon you, arrest him, put him in jail, watch him close because he's escaped a few times before. So, like, that, that was pretty pretty brazen of him. But by now, Billy well, would murder be... murder was a capital charge, so it, yeah. there should have been no statute of limitations. Right, but by now, Billy would be around 90 years old, so I doubt he could run fast or far. And Mabry dismissed Robert's claims, and Robert died shortly afterward. Which, to me, maybe maybe he just wanted, like, I don't know, maybe one last blaze of glory for himself before he died and was trying to claim to be somebody. Maybe. Nevertheless, in Hico, Texas, Robert's hometown, hmm. the residents capitalized on his claim by opening a Billy the Kid museum. Go figure. Let's get the old man yeah. who's it's probably crazy seen all right here yeah. and tell him, hey, you go tell the sheriff you're Billy the Kid. And then we're going to open up a museum, and we're going to have all this You'll be the star. Stuff. You'll be the star. Yeah. Yeah. So it could be the townspeople who put him up to it. That's my bet. You think so? Yeah. John Miller, an Arizona man, also claimed that he was Billy. And this was unsupported by his family until 1938, sometime after his death. His body was buried in the state-owned Arizona Pioneers Home Cemetery in Prescott, Arizona. And in May 2005... Miller's teeth and bones were exhumed and examined without permission from the state. And DNA samples from the remains were sent to a laboratory in Dallas and tested to compare Miller's DNA with blood samples obtained from floorboards in the old Lincoln County courthouse and a bench where Billy's body allegedly was placed after he was shot. Now, according to a July... 2015 article in the Washington Post, though, the lab results were, quote, useless. Duh. Okay, but look, we're talking 2015. We're still talking about yeah. Billy the Kid. Yeah. So without actual proof Billy was laid out on that exact bench or it was his blood, I don't think the results could have stood up in any court of law today. Yeah. Even if they could prove that, that would have been some pretty good DNA work. Right. Try to, like, he was laying on this bench... Like a hundred and some years ago, so we're going to get this get DNA. DNA okay, from, yeah. yeah. Okay. I think they're fishing here. In 2004, researchers, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe they could do that. In 2004, researchers sought to uh, exhume the remains of Catherine Antrim, who was uh, Billy's mother, whose DNA would be tested and compared with that of the body buried in William Bonney's grave. Again, see, this, this is why we just stuck with just calling him Billy. Yeah. And... and as we said at the very beginning, 
I think we're about 98, 99% sure that she is his mother. Right. Yeah, so they, they must is, be pretty sure. is Billy buried in William Bonney's grave? Well, if the DNA would have matched up, that probably would have been a more right. complete link right there to yeah. verify that was his mother. But well, So, so what whatever. happened? So as of 2012, her body has not been exhumed. Hmm. In 2007, author and amateur historian Gail Cooper filed a lawsuit against the Lincoln County Sheriff's Office 2007 filed a lawsuit against Lincoln County Sheriff's Office under the State Inspection of Public Records Act to produce records of the results of the 2006 DNA test and other forensic evidence collected by uh, or during the investigation this of Billy the, the Kid. This is the bench, the bench. Yeah, this, so DNA? This, he's trying to get that okay. DNA right. Okay, this yeah, is in so, 2007. Yeah. Okay. In April 2012. 133 pages of documents were provided. They offered no conclusive evidence confirming or disproving the generally accepted story of Garrett killing Billy the Kid. But it confirmed the record's existence and why weren't they produced earlier? In 2014, Cooper was awarded $100,000 in punitive damage, but the decision was later, later overturned by the New Mexico Court of Appeals. The lawsuit ultimately cost Lincoln County nearly three hundred thousand dollars. I wonder why. So why after all this time? I, I guess to make history correct, but it seems to me that would yeah, seem like a very frivolous lawsuit. I agree. And what, aside from being an amateur historian, what interest I, I don't know. does I, this person have in I, any of it? I suppose the court of New Mexico, the court of appeals, agrees with us on that. But it does make me wonder why the delay. In producing the records, was it a clerical error? Did it take that long to find and collect the records? Did they think that this person was a crackpot and maybe they had better things to spend their time on? Yeah, but under like a Freedom of Information Act, they still have to provide it. I mean, were they trying to cover something up? Whatever the reason, it was Cooper believed it important enough to sue the Lincoln County Sheriff's Office. Hmm. I mean, he won one, but it was overturned. Maybe he was trying to publish a book and he calculated $100,000 was just compensation for his wages and efforts that were being delayed. I don't know. I mean, we can only speculate. So yeah, why? But it's just interesting that after all these years, there's still it, a lot it, of controversy. There's still a lot of stuff going on. I wonder on why they won't exhume Catherine McCarty's grave. Don't know. Like what? I mean, I, it seems like that would be an easy thing. Like, Exhume Billy or William Bonnie, exhume Catherine, test their DNA and get answers. I don't, once I don't, and for I don't all. know. I mean, you got requests going across the state, and maybe right. some people, wherever she's buried, she was buried in Silver City. Mm-hmm. Like, what's the point? We're not going to spend another dime doing this because what's it really matter? Or I wonder if, I mean, he did have a brother. I wonder if there are, you know, his ancestors, great nieces and nephews. Possibly. There could have been children. Would have, there could have been. Um, you know, if ancestors maybe would be the ones that would lead the, lead the charge, so to speak, in getting some answers. I don't know. Anyway, in February 2015, historian Robert Stahl petitioned a district court in Fort Sumner asking the state of New Mexico to issue a death certificate for McCarty, which is strange that they didn't, they buried him without a death certificate. In July 20, 2015, Stahl filed a suit in the New Mexico Supreme Court, and the suit asked the court to order the state's Office of the Medical Investigator to officially certify Billy's death under New Mexico state law. 
1931, Charles W. Four, an unofficial tour guide at Fort Sumner Cemetery, campaigned to raise funds for a permanent marker for the graves of Billy O'Folliard and Bowdry. As a result of his efforts, a stone memorial marked with the names of the three men and their death dates beneath the word PALS was erected in the center of the burial area. In 1940, stonecutter James N. Warner of Salida, Colorado, made and donated uh, to the cemetery a new marker for William Bonney's grave. It was stolen on February 8, 1981, but recovered a few days later in Huntington Beach, California. In New Mexico, Governor Bruce King arranged for the county sheriff to fly to California and return it to Fort Sumner, where it was reinstalled in May 1981. And although both markers are behind iron fencing, a group of vandals did enter the enclosure at night in June 2012 and tipped the stone over. In 2010, New Mexico Governor uh, Bill Richardson considered honoring the 1879 promise of pardon for Billy the Kid made by then-Governor Lou Wallace. Richardson backed off the idea, citing historical ambiguities surrounding Wallace's pardon. Mm. To this day, Billy the Kid brings up as we talked about at the beginning of the show, a lot of raw emotion in a lot of people. Law enforcement and their families of fallen police officers look at Billy the Kid as a cold-blooded cop killer, not worthy of a pardon, and um, they question the notoriety versus, you know, why is he getting all this attention versus the, the fallen police officers that he killed? It's like a lot of other stories in history. So a lot of uh, how so much of people viewing history depends on which side you stand on and your personal beliefs. You know, were the cops in the Old West crooked and corrupt like they seem to have been in Australia during Ned Kelly's time? Well, as I was reading through that bulletin board about people who were posting about this, mm-hmm. there was one historian who made that claim that, you know, right or wrong, that... Pat Garrett deserved to be shot because he was so crooked. But, you know, we live in a nation of laws. There's a way to do it. You just don't go and gun people down the street because you disagree with them or you think they should be dead. Right, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I Was Billy the Kid a, a bad guy? He definitely did. Some, I think he was a bad guy. He definitely yeah. did bad things. But like I said, it all started... From, he had choices. Yeah, choices. And it he all, made bad choices. It's just really interesting how these things kind of snowball. You know, it all started with him helping somebody out play a prank on a Chinese laundryman. And then it snowballed into him becoming one of the most notorious outlaws in the history of the American West. What really gets me, too, and honestly, when we started putting together, like we started talking about doing Belknap. And then we did Ned Kelly, mm-hmm. and then we... It all kind of dovetails together, and we yeah, didn't intend for there, it to. There's so many parallels yeah. in the story between Belknap and Billy the Kid. Probably have ties. If someone really had the time, they could go back and tie Belknap's... Actually, was it his wife's dealings? Yeah. His wife's, wife's dealings. Plural. With... Um, <laughs> What was going on out there? Could be in New Mexico. And yeah, I we, mean, it all fell under the Secretary of War at the time. So, yeah. and we didn't. There, there were so many parallels between uh, Ned Kelly and Billy, and Billy the Kid. The kid. Mm-hmm. It's just and completely unintentional. It just that's and the way it happened. I always kind of wonder too. Do do you think that we have figures like this in today's society? Go read the FBI's ten most wanted list. I mean, like, do we have, but, but do we have, are there people who, you know, a hundred, 150 years from now are going to look back at 
2020 and say this guy or this lady was notorious criminal for like how long has whatever. Jimmy how long has Jimmy Hoffa been dead? That's another one we got to do is yeah. Jimmy Hoffa. Yeah, but just, I mean, like right now, like in the 21st century, or that I don't really think I can't really think of anybody, maybe like of this kind of caliber. You think of pol- I think of a lot of political criminals. Like Jeffrey Epstein, or, um, or even or like mafiosos or stuff like that, or you know, uh, I, but I don't really think of like. Well, I, we know, I guess really... we don't have like old school bank robbers and stuff anymore, like they did. Yeah, the FBI, now it's all the FBI now it's all insider trading. Yeah. yeah, now it's all now it's all white collar crime. Yeah, and it's harder to track on the uh, on the computer and over the internet and the dark web and all the. Right. The weird and crazy stuff that goes on. but oh, It was a much simpler time back in the Old West. <laughs> you just go rob the bank, right? hop on the train, and there You're you done. go. Yeah. Yep. Oh, well. Now the FBI can trace you through your DNA off a board 150 <laughs> years ago. Yeah. So, But they can't because it was inconclusive. Unusable. Crime doesn't pay. They're going to get you. I mean. Crime doesn't pay. They're, they're going to get you. They're can get you might be uh, there's camera there's cameras everywhere you, you might become famous in the meantime but crime doesn't pay you shouldn't do it hey, don't do it kids don't do I mean, it look there's cameras everywhere there's recordings uh, there's dna yeah. there's snitches <laughs> it's there, just, those guys have always been around you're going to get caught yeah 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 it's not it's not committing crimes is not the fun that it used to be yeah so we've not really uh We've not really decided who next week's story is going to be about. We have a couple of ideas. We have a couple of ideas. We've we had a spir- a slightly spirited discussion about one of them. Spirited? Well, like I disagree with your choice because I don't think of this person as an outlaw per se, but we might cover him. I don't even know who you're talking about. You can tell me. Yes. Hang I'll tell on. You, I'll- hang on. Hang on. Ah, I remember. <laughs> but I mean, first we have to find out if this person was a real person or just lore. That's true. So that's another another thing. Maybe if I could talk him into it, um, I would really like to do a series on m- mythological possible real figures like King Arthur. Did King Arthur really exist? Beowulf. Did Beowulf really exist? Or uh, like some of these like ancient old, old school people. So, well, anyway, we are getting way off tangents here. The boogeyman's real. Um, Yeah, okay. Okay. His name is Richard Ramirez. He's been dead for a while. Yeah. Well, our dogs, (laughs) as you walk down the road or the street, when they pass a a sewer, they will walk out of their way to avoid walking past the sewer. And we've always told them it's the boogie dog that lives down there. Pennywise. Anyway... Um, so we'll we'll conclude our series on outlaws next week, and then we're not really sure what we're going to do after that. Let's hope for some good weather. Yeah. The, we- the good weather continues. If you have anything that you'd like us to cover, feel free to drop us a line. Again, the email address is alosthour at gmail.com. We're talking to you, Patty. We can find, you can find us on all the socials, on Facebook and Instagram at An Hour of Your Life, and you can find us on Twitter at alosthour. Um... That's pretty much the only ways you can yeah. find us. You can send us a homing pigeon or something. We could do that. But, uh, hey, folks, look, 
you want to help us out? And my pleas are working. <laughs> Please tell someone about us. Yeah. T- tell, tell a couple of friends about us and ask them to listen to the show and let them decide what they want to do. Some people find us entertaining. Some people don't. But uh, <laughs> That's fine. If you don't, that's fine. That's fine. As we always Don't say, leave us a bad review. This is our hobby. Yeah, don't leave us a bad review. <laughs> if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at go. all. All right. Anything else, Kim? I think that's about it. All Maybe right. a little bit of a shorter show today. Mm, a little, couple minutes. That's all right. That's okay. So, from our studios in Sugar Crown, Sugar Town... Sugar Creek? Okay, I didn't know that this was going to be such a tongue twister for me. (laughs) So from the 13th Hour Studios. Thanks for spending an hour of your life with us. thinking about taking some professional broadcasting classes. I think you need to, or maybe just lay off the bourbon. Sources this week include legendsofamerica.com, wikipedia, history.com, and odmp.org.